Welcome to the Happy Homeschool, where we talk about creative homeschool inspiration rooted in relationships for the nonconformist, dedicated parent. I'm Laura Blodgett. And my goal at the Happy Homeschool is to inspire and equip you to create a learning environment that makes home everyone's favorite place. You can always read more at thehappyhomeschool.com. For example, my 15-year-old had an interest in 3D printing and he (laughs) saved up his money and he ordered a 3D printer. And then he had to learn how to operate the software and do the math necessary to design his own uh, CAD patterns in order to print with his 3D printer. Hello, I'm Laura, and that was just a segment of my interview with Rachel Wheeler, and I will let her introduce herself in just a minute. Uh, We covered topics, everything from the facade of grade levels, to answering nosy critics creatively and intelligently, to how to raise teenagers that you will enjoy being around. So without further ado, here's my interview with Rachel Wheeler. Today we are interviewing Rachel Wheeler, who is a longtime friend of mine, and I'm going to let you, Rachel, tell more about yourself. Hi, Laura. My husband and I have nine children. We have five boys and four girls. Our oldest is 18 and a half, on down to our youngest is two. And we live now in Tennessee. We've been here for two years. We're living in Idaho for 16 years. And we are longtime homeschoolers. Well, I know that partly by that you mean that you and Ben were both taught at home when you were growing up as well. Yes. Yes. My mom started homeschooling myself and my siblings in the mid-80s, 1986, when it wasn't even legal in every state yet. It wasn't our state. It was legal. And my husband was also homeschooled. He did go to public school, I believe, for first and second grade, maybe, when he was young. But then after that, he was homeschooled, and I was only ever homeschooled. So for us, this is our lifestyle. This is how we grew up, and we loved it, and what we wanted for our children. So we've always been homeschoolers. But there was still probably a point in time when you actually made a decision to homeschool, when you said, this is what we're going to do. The funny thing is neither my husband or I ever remember a moment like that. Really, (laughs) We've talked about it since then. Um, When someone, someone at some point asked us when or why did we decide to homeschool? And we don't ever remember talking about it. There was never a question of would we, or wouldn't we, we both, I think just always assumed that we would. Most of our discussions revolved around how would we homeschool? Um, How would we do things differently than our parents did? Or what would we do the same? But I don't ever remember us making a decision specifically that we would homeschool. We just always both wanted to. You talked about it, though, when you were dating when you got married when your kids were young so it's not just like oh your kids were born and then you were homeschooling them there was it was part of the conversation yeah um you know from being a parent that and um even though you grew up in a large family having your own children 
is different. There's a level of responsibility and all of that. So did you have concerns when you first started teaching your first children? We did. Yes. Our biggest concern was probably money. It seemed prudent to have one of us be home for, you know, for my husband to work and for me to stay home and homeschool the children. So having a single income meant uh, having to be more careful with the budget. And at first we were not sure how we would afford curriculum, especially if you're not familiar with homeschool curriculum. Some of them are, are quite expensive. And at first glance, it looks like homeschooling is going to cost us a lot of money, which ended up not being true. But I, I remember that that was a concern. Yeah, I've always said that I think these kinds of concerns are healthy. It means you're thinking through what the issues might be. So to have concerns doesn't mean you're worrying or or um, unreasonably inexperienced. It means you're problem solving. You're thinking about things. Yes. So how did you deal with those concerns in the beginning? Well, in the beginning, we made use of free resources like the library and uh, used book sales, that used curriculum sales, and we had things given to us also as our parents finished homeschooling our younger siblings. They, they passed things on to us. I think even you passed curriculum on to us when you finished using it. It's possible. <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out there, there are a lot of museums and places that offer homeschool discounts. Um, sometimes there's even days like the zoo once a year we'll do a family day where it's free to get in we just we just had to be creative and and take advantage of of everything that we could also i used to ask for homeschool things for gifts when my mom would ask what i wanted for my birthday or what uh. the, the kids for christmas i know one year she wanted to get our kids a, a video game console and I talked her into getting us a piano instead. Oh, <laughs> so that, wow. So that my kids could start taking piano lessons because I really wasn't interested in an Xbox or a PlayStation. Uh-huh. Um, and another year, Ben's parents, my husband's parents, got us season passes for the aquarium hmm. so that we could take the children to the aquarium whenever we wanted. So none of those tactics or strategies really are unique to someone who wants to homeschool. They're just uh, the kinds of things that people do to make the most of their budget when they're having priorities that indicate they need to only live on one person, one of the spouses working. Yeah, I, I would agree. Anytime you're living on a single income, you do, you do have to be con considerate and careful of how you use your resources. Or I might say, especially for younger couples who are just starting, because I don't think it's across the board whenever there's just one uh, of the parents working that it's always tight. I've, I've seen a, a wide variety of people on the socioeconomic spectrum, and um, sometimes one spouse working actually ends up making more money just because of a variety of decisions that go along with that. Yeah, that is, that is probably true when you have a, a parent home and you're not paying daycare costs or or even when your kids are are in a public school there's extra costs involved with that that you don't realize public school isn't free there's always 
cost that the parents put into it. And, and I think a lot of the things that I thought we would end up spending a lot of money on ended up not being as important. I have found it's not as important to me anymore to have expensive history curriculum or science curriculum because we can piece together our own just by reading books that we find in different people and different events and topics. Um, some of my fav favorite books aren't really curriculum at all. They're just biographies and autobiographies. Yeah, I was having this conversation um, on the last interview with Heidi and Rich, the idea about what is curriculum. And it's not always defined the same for everyone else. Some people just view it as anything you use to teach your kids to learn. And some yeah. people think it has to be somehow approved by some educator. And so that makes it officially curriculum. Right, right. And even homeschool curriculum, not what's the word, not manufacturers, the publishers who make homeschool curriculum definitely promote that mindset. It has to be an official curriculum in order to, you know, really for your children to learn, which isn't true. I've been kind of amazed. Um, even lately, I've been noticing some curriculums for sale that are produced by people who've never taught their children at home. It's just that they are curriculum producers. And so I, I view those with some skepticism that they don't really understand what homeschooling is about. Yeah, those are in the same category as parenting books written by people who have no children. <laughs> or who don't stay home with them. Right. I do see those. I see boxed curriculum sets for an entire grade for your child, and it's $1,000 or something. And I, I don't think that those are necessary or even beneficial. Well, I know that some of the curriculum packaged curriculum things that I bought early on, they ended up being dry and, and boring. And so we tended away from those more and more over the years. We have to. We have to. I very much favor, I guess the term is an unschooling. That's what people call it now. I favor the learning through real life and following my children's interests. We do still use a math curriculum that we enjoy. And we have a handful of other official curriculum books that we that we read on various topics, but we try to do as much as we can with just our, our real life. We have a farm, we have animals, we have projects going constantly. My children have a wide variety of interests, and as they're pursuing those interests, it is quite natural for them to need to learn something that or skills for them to be able to pursue that. Um, for example, my 15-year-old had an interest in 3D printing and he saved up his money and he ordered a 3D printer. And then he had to learn how to operate the software and do the math necessary to design his own uh, CAD patterns in order to print with his 3D printer. So that meant having to learn math and and look up other things that allowed him to to do that but of course he already had some basics because all along the way you're introducing them to concepts so it's not like oh all of a sudden he doesn't know any math and he needs oh, yeah. some <laughs> no he no he definitely already knew the basics but it sometimes people they say when they're struggling with learning algebra or something they say oh you know when am i ever going to use this in real life and then all of a sudden there was a need for it in real life and a need 
to learn it and apply it. I do teach the basic. So part of the the uh, observation I have there with that scenario is that because he had time and um, flexibility to pursue those interests, then he was able to be more motivated to actually learn those things that if you're just trying to force him to learn them without any context, they would have been a lot more frustrating and less meaningful. So you were saying that your main concern was money. So let's go back to, were there any other big concerns you had when you started? I did deal with some insecurity about whether I would be able to teach my kids, which seems silly because I know I got a good education from my mom. Um, But that pervasive mindset of, you know, you have to be a teacher to teach and especially when my children began wanting or needing to learn subjects that I didn't know about. Um, like I only ever learned math up through algebra one. I never okay. went beyond that. Um, but then my oldest son, he loved math and he enjoyed it. And so after he finished algebra one, he wanted to do algebra two and geometry in the same year just for fun. So <laughs> That's what he said. And I was like, that's not my idea of fun. And I definitely struggled with whether or not I'd be able to see him through subjects that I didn't even know. Um, but we did it. Uh-huh. <laughs> did algebra one and two, trigonometry, geometry, and pre-calculus. Pretty much without me. We we got him set up with a, a good curriculum um, where he had access to. A teacher that could answer questions if needed. And if we were having trouble finding an answer, we would just look online on Khan Academy or, or whatever. So I no longer worry about that because I've learned that number one, I can learn right along with them. Right. Even if I, even if I don't have mastery of a subject, we just learn it together. Right. And also they really are, especially as teens, but even younger, which I think surprised me too. They children really are capable of learning independently and teaching themselves. So sometimes they just need a little oversight from me. But for the most part, they can teach themselves. Uh-huh. So I just tried to make sure that they have all of the resources that they need to do that, whether it's books or or DVDs or certain websites or courses or when it came to music, we, we hired a piano teacher and we've also at different times had a guitar teacher and other, you know, lessons and activities like that. Okay. Maybe this is putting you on the spot a little bit, but I think as parents, we all run into at least one thing that we need to teach our children um, academically that they're not interested in, that they're not motivated to do. Um, Have you had that? And would you care to share how you've dealt with that? Yes. After we moved to Tennessee, the laws are different here than they were in Idaho. Mm -hmm. In Idaho, we had complete freedom to educate our children as we saw fit. So most of the time, if there was a subject that I didn't think was necessary or um, that they weren't interested in, we, we didn't worry about it. But here in Tennessee, I do have to submit what curriculum I'm using. We have to meet a certain amount of days. And also when they're in high school, we have to cover certain topics, whether they're interested in them or not. 
Um, so I had a conversation with my 17 year old just this last year when she was questioning, why are we, why are we learning this subject that I think is boring and don't necessarily need? And I told her because the state requires it, that's the only reason we're doing and doing it. And we're just to do it to check the box. It's part of life and part, especially of adulthood, mm-hmm. doing things you don't necessarily want to do because you have to or need to. So they might as well just learn now that sometimes we it's not about what we enjoy or what we're interested in. Sometimes it's about, oh, we have to do this. So that was all the conversation you needed with her at, on that in particular is like, it's just what we have to do. And, and she agreed with you? Yeah. And that is a benefit to homeschooling is my teens are a lot more easygoing. There was no arguing uh-huh. once I explained it to her and then every day reminded her, you know, don't forget to, you know, finish reading this book or, or whatever it was that she was focusing on. What do you wish you had known when you started or earlier on in your experience with teaching your own children? I wish I had known that it was not necessary to adhere to grade levels. Grade levels are arbitrary. I've realized I used to worry a lot more about is my child where they're supposed to be for their age? Are they in the correct grade? And at some point I realized grade levels are a made up thing. It's okay for us to just learn at their pace and what they need for their age or their personality. So I don't I just don't even worry anymore about grade levels, except for when I'm submitting paperwork, then I have to stop and count. Okay. (laughs) They're this age, so they should be at this grade level. But I have kids who who are ahead of where they should be. I'm making quotation marks for should. Right. And I and kids who are are would maybe be considered behind, but I know that they're going to catch up when they're ready. Some of my children learned to read at a very young age, four or five, and then some were eight or nine before it clicked. And that used to stress me out and it doesn't anymore. Mm-hmm. So I wish I had known not to worry about that. <laughs> right. And I think that a lot of times when you try to put kids and and fit them into these levels that they're not ready for, it just causes a lot of unnecessary stress and labeling and all kinds of tension between them and their parents. It doesn't need to be that way. No, it doesn't. So over the years, we've morphed into what I think of as like a one-room schoolhouse. I don't necessarily have kids in first grade and third grade and fourth grade and and sixth grade, you know, we, when we're reading history, we're all reading the same thing together, regardless of what grade they're in, or if we're reading science, or if we're watching a documentary, we're all reading it together. And that has really helped um, take some of the stress off me of trying to be at different grade levels. And also it just makes it easier when you have a, a big family dynamic not to be having to read first grade history and third grade history and fourth grade history and sixth grade history because they're really capable of just learning the same things. And I think there's benefits to that because when everybody's learning the same thing, then there's more discussion right. about what we read today because we are all on the same topic. And I think that there's benefit to that. Yeah, the idea that some of these subjects um, like history uh, you have to teach certain areas, uh, certain time periods and certain levels that 
why? <laughs> yeah, right. So did we already cover, do you think, what you might do differently, or do you think you have more to add to that? There is not much that I would do differently other than to worry less or stress out less. Mm-hmm. I, I am happy with the way that we did things, and, and even over the years as we made changes, I, I don't regret how we started out. You know, we've, we've learned along the way and we've found a good groove. I think that um, people sometimes miss the fact that as your children see you adjust and problem solve, it teaches them important things that they can't learn any other way. I agree. And I think it's important for them to know it's okay to make adjustments, yes. make changes, make mistakes. So that pretty much covers how your approach to homeschooling matured. We've gotten less structured over the years. I still have minimum requirements every day of of book work and and you know school time, official school time, but over the years I'm less strict about it and I'm comfortable with them learning learning things through real life. And sometimes when I sit down to teach them something, actually that happens a lot. I <laughs> say more than sometimes. I sit down to teach them something and they already know it. Uh-huh. I sit down, okay, your new math book is teaching fractions, but they already know fractions because they've been cooking right. for three years. <laughs> 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 and, you know, or even with my, my younger ones, I know I didn't think my three-year-old knew how to count. And then one day he counted 200 and listening to him. And I said, where did you learn to count? And he said, from playing hide and go seek. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So more hide and go seek is your recommendation for yes. early math. More hide and go seek, more chocolate chip cookies. Children will learn. They learn every day. You can't stop them from learning unless you make them sit still. They will learn. They soak things up. I used to hear people say, children are sponges. They just absorb things, but I don't think I appreciated the accuracy there until I started having kids regurgitate random facts to me that they picked up who knows where. Yeah, I think that from my own perspective, not having been taught at home as a child, having gone to institutional school, there was a a deadening of the desire to learn just because of the whole structure. And there's also a mindset that learning only happened in certain places and that after a certain amount of time and a certain age, you would be done learning. And teaching my own children reignited my own learning in very surprising ways for me. And now, you know, I'm, I just learn all the time. I think, how come people are sitting around not learning? Yeah. And I would say not only, you know, when or where you learn, but how people seem to think that teaching must occur in certain ways or children only learn in certain ways. They can only learn to count if you sit down and teach them to count. Mm -hmm. Um, But then they learn to count from playing hide and go seek and you realize they, they can learn many other ways than just through repetition or instruction. I think if I had sat my son down earlier on and tried to teach him to count, it would have been more difficult, maybe even frustrating for him and for me. 
um, but because it was part of a game with his siblings and he was he was eager to be able to count so that he could have a turn being it there was incentive there that I think made it fun for him if I could if I could have ways to teach my children everything they need that way where it, it was never necessary for me to sit down and be like you have to do this because the state says to or or you know you have to just learn this because I would always much rather that they just be learning it through real life and through fun or because they have an interest or a need. Right. So I think in the example there of your young son learning to count, it's also um, instructive that it's so hard to know when exactly a child is ready. And he found his ready point. Yeah, he did. And I, a daughter who taught herself to read more or less. Uh-huh. I, I did teach her the alphabet and the sounds that the, each letter makes. And then um, the book that we were using, the phonics book, um, teaches letter clusters like S-H and, and C-H. Right. But once I taught her the sounds things make, she just could read. She just, the rest she did on her own. And she had an interest and in, she had books that she wanted to read that she had heard her older siblings talk about and and there was none of the agonizing or or working at it um, like I'd had with other kids. She just was ready and she just did it. And I wish it could always be that way. Mm-hmm. Yes, not not every child takes to every subject as easily. Yeah, and sometimes they just are on a different time frame. You right. Know? We don't look at babies and say they all have to crawl at six months old. Right. Some do and some don't. And and I know with my son who was eight before he really learned to read, I did agonize over he's not reading yet. He should be reading by now. And I sat, you know, with him day after day, going over letters and sounds and words. Really, it just took him coming to a place where he was ready and it and it just clicked. I think if I could go back and do that differently, I probably wouldn't agonize or push him or try to teach him, I would probably wait until he was ready for that. Maybe keep exposing him to things, reading to him or showing him words and letters yes. as you read, but but not being stressed about it. Right. And not pushing him so hard because I know he expressed frustration. Right. Because he was probably trying really hard and it just wasn't yeah. working. Well, he definitely picked up on my expectations you know, whether I said it or not, I think uh-huh. he was having thoughts of, I should be able to read. What's wrong with now. me? Yeah. Yeah. But now he's okay. Now he knows. He's, yep. <laughs> he's just, he's just fine. Now he has a 3D printer. <laughs> and he makes his own designs and prints things and, and has other hobbies. That's not a question that you asked me, but I was thinking about my children's hobbies and interests and the variety that they have. Um, They're not limited. There's no checklist, you know, when they enroll in school, you know, do you want to be in chess club or drama club or play a sport? Like there's no limits on them. Like you have to choose one of these things. So it's been surprising to see where their interests take them. I would never have, I would never have been interested in a 3D printer if it was just me. (laughs) but I'm always surprised by the things my children take an interest in and I'm grateful that they have the opportunity the free time and the the ability to pursue different things so did you have any 
particular or unexpected challenges as you've been teaching your kids? None that I would consider out of ordinary challenges. The biggest one was probably, you know, learning that it was okay for them to each learn at their own pace. What about with um, things that were sort of peripheral to the homeschooling experience that you felt impacted your family and, and affected your decision or your approach? It's always been very important to me to protect my children from people who criticize homeschooling or criticize them for being homeschooled because that was something that impacted me when I was growing up and I was homeschooled. My parents were homeschooling me during a time when it was not common. Right. And in an area where it was not prevalent for a long time, we were the only family that I knew that homeschooled. And I have told several people over the years that the homeschool critics were the bullies of my childhood. The what were the bullies? The homeschool critics. Oh, okay. Yeah. We would go to church and adults would corner my mom and say, you know, what are you thinking? Why don't you just put them in real school? They're going to grow up to be, you know, delayed or have no social skills or, or whatever. And that affected me. I I remember as a kid thinking, oh no, I'm going to grow up to have no social skills. (laughs) And, you know, and then I don't know at what point I finally realized that they were wrong and I was okay, but there, there did come that point. But when people, um, particularly when they start to question my kids, oh, you're homeschooled. What's the fifth planet from the sun? Who was the 17th president? you know, what's the river that runs through Egypt? I shut that down hard because Uh people, people don't do that to kids who go to a public school. Right. They, they just don't. And I always felt singled out and, and like I was under the microscope to have to prove myself and it caused me stress. So it's always been important to me to try to stop that from happening to my kids. Over the years, it's been less of an issue as homeschooling has become more socially acceptable and more common. <laughs> um, the critics are fewer and farther between. And most of the time, you know, if my kids get asked questions, we can laugh it off. Frequently, they just answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, we were at the dentist and there was a roll of dental floss on the wall that was about the size of a baseball. Wow. And my son asked the hygienist, how much floss is that? And she said, well, it says right on it that it's, I forget what it was. It was maybe 3,000 yards or 2,000 yards. It was a lot of dental floss. It was mm-hmm. a, a big thing. It was in a dispenser. She And she she read it off. She said, it's, it's this many yards. And then she kind of got this like glint in her eye. And she said, how many feet is that? He did the math right there and he's 3,000 yards and that's 9,000 feet or whatever. And then she said, and how many miles would that be? Which was a trickier question. Right. But he, he did it. He was like, okay, there's, you know, 5,280 feet in a mile. It would be, and for a moment, 
I think I was holding my breath because I was kind of like, oh no, here we go, you right. know. <laughs> but he he stepped up and he she seemed pleased with his answer and like, okay, like if she had any concerns at all about these weird homeschoolers, they've now been laid to rest. I can see in that situation in particular, an adult just feeling like they had a, a teaching opportunity with any child, but as as someone who deals with being evaluated constantly, it, it comes across differently to us. If you're not being evaluated constantly, you probably don't mind when it happens. But it's like for people that have a weird last name and someone's always making a joke about yes, it. Yes. By the 6,000th time, you're so over it. When you're constantly being quizzed by people or questioned or, or you know they're just, you know, some people are malicious and they're trying yes. to trip you up because it will prove that they were right all along, you know, uh -huh. with their expectations. It gets tiresome. Yeah. There have been a couple of times when a subject that's not commonly held came up with someone and they sort of start to grill me and, and like in my face with, can you prove blah, blah, blah. And I, I stepped back and I said, you know, I don't mind having an honest conversation with anybody who really wants to discuss this, but if you just want to make fun of me, I'm really not interested in talking to you about it. That's a good response. And I've definitely felt that way with some people. Some people are curious. They're genuinely curious. You know, when they ask questions like, do your children have any friends? They legitimately wonder if we have friends. <laughs> and then I can tell them, oh, yes, we're, you know, we're a part of a group that does projects. We're part of another group that does PE once a week. We go swimming. We have friends that we get together just for fun. We, we definitely have friends. But then there are some people that can ask the same question in a different tone. When they say, do you even have friends? You you know that they already have some preconceived notion and, and anything I say, they're going to try to poke holes in or, or right. argue, or it's not the same as getting to see your friends every day at school or, or whatever. Yeah. And, and there are answers to that too, that I've done. Again, you have to weigh the situation, uh, the friend thing, I will say something along the lines of, so how much time in an institutional setting, does your child actually spend talking to a friend? Right. A and most people are like, oh, good point. Yeah, they don't have free time the same way. Or most of the time when you're in school, the teacher is telling you to shh, you're not right. supposed to be visiting or socializing when yeah. you're in class, especially. So. Yeah, it's it can be frustrating to feel like your approach, your choices are always the ones being scrutinized when you know there are so many problems with the other system as well that are everybody knows about. Yes. A lot of people seem to take it. They have a romanticized perspective of school. And I don't think it's realistic. Maybe schools were different when they were young. I doubt it. But <laughs> maybe things were better than what they are now or how they are now. But I find it unlikely most of the time it's people can be a little bit defensive if you come across as they think critical of public school at all. They do feel defensive because it's sure. what they know, it's what they had, what they experienced, or it's what they've chosen for their children. Right. So they they might feel the need to to paint a rosier picture than what really exists. 
Right. And so approaching it with, listen, I understand that you have made the best decisions that you could based on what you thought about particular issues and and what your choices were. Um, So this isn't a competition, but if you want to hear why I've done what I've done, then here, I'm ready to talk about it. Right. And I think when people get defensive, that says more about them, especially if I, you know, if someone asks where our kids go to school, we got that question a lot when we first moved here mm-hmm. because there's, you know, schools in both directions and people wanted to know, oh, are you, you know, going to that school. And I would say, no, we homeschool. And sometimes that's all it takes. All it takes is me saying we homeschool for them to be like, oh, I want my kids to have a real education. So I send them to a real school and <laughs> I think, okay, your defensiveness is is your issue. I was not attacking you by right. saying what we do. Right. We did have a neighbor who volunteers at the school. And when we moved in, she was getting to know us. She said to me one day, well, if you ever get tired of homeschooling and you want to send your kids to a real school, we have really great schools here and really stellar teachers. And I told my husband later to her face, I just nodded politely and said, well, thanks, but homeschooling is, is our life and this is what we will always do. Um, but later to my husband, I told him that was very presumptuous of her. I think mm-hmm. it's the same as if she said, well, if you ever get tired of your husband, I know a great divorce lawyer. <laughs> completely unsolicited, inappropriate comment, I think. Yeah. And also the underlying assumption that you are not providing an education for your children. Right. Or I might just get tired of it. Mm -hmm. Or anytime people use words like real school or (laughs) real education, I will frequently try to correct that. And yes, well, this is real school. This is a real education. (laughs) Uh So were there any particularly unexpected, enjoyable results or not unexpected, but particularly enjoyable or unexpected, enjoyable results? I think having teenagers who are fun and pleasant to be around has been a particularly enjoyable result of homeschooling. Yes. Because we spend so much time together and we're able to build a relationship differently than if we were apart all day and just telling each other about things in the evening or weekend. Um, And because I'm there also to deal with if an attitude arises, I'm there to help my children deal with that immediately as they're growing up. So by the time they become teens, they're just good people to be around. They're just fun. Mm -hmm. And anytime I I have other friends who talk about their teens sulking or slamming doors or, or things like that. That's not something we've ever, ever dealt with or experienced. That would be a surprise to me. I very much enjoy the young adults we have in our house at the moment. Yes, I've had the same experience and it's been uncomfortable to know how to respond to people who are saying, oh, you know, teenagers and that normal kind of complaining. Right. And we've had the same thing with toddlers as well. Mm -hmm. Um, When people say, oh, you know what it's like, you know, leaving a store with your screaming child. And I'm just like, 
No, actually, I've never, that's never been me. I've never had to do that. Um, but when my kids were younger, people would say, oh, just wait till they're older. You know, they'll be, they'll really try your patience then. Um, but it, it hasn't happened yet. I, I really am enjoying having children who are like my friends, you know, we have some great discussions and we have a lot of fun and we work together also on projects and, and chores around our farm. Mm -hmm. I remember when my um, kids, as they went through the teenage years, almost without fail, as they went out then and they were doing things more on their own, having some jobs or, or different um, social experiences that were more apart from the family, and they would be interacting with other adults. And these adults who had their own children, most of them, would come back with some sort of comment about how they wanted my children. You know, they wanted them to do something with them. It's like, um, no, get your own. I worked really yeah. hard on these. <laughs> yeah. And if your children had been born to them, they probably wouldn't be the people that they are now because it's your influence and your training and your family dynamic that made them the people that they are. Yeah. And that's an issue I take also with people when they see our lifestyle and say, you know, oh, I, I would have done that if, you know, if my kids were as well behaved as yours, I could homeschool them. Ah. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's magic. So it's like, it's similar also to when people talk about our, our parenting style, you know, like, oh, that wouldn't work with my child. They're too strong-willed. I couldn't just tell them they have to sit and finish this workbook. They're too strong-willed. Well, do you think that my children are weak-willed? Because right. they were not born compliant or in any way. We've got some strong personalities over here and some strong opinions. And, and they're not compliant now. It's not like you've beaten them down. They've learned oh, yes. self-control for all the right reasons. Right. And we've been consistent also. So they know when I say you have to do this, that they're going to have to do it. <laughs> uh -huh. That arguing won't get them anywhere. Selfing won't get them anywhere. Whining or pouting will probably get them double of whatever it is they're trying to avoid doing. So they, they've learned to just, if, if I say, here's what we're going to have to do, uh, we, we just do it. Yeah. So you've talked a little bit about questions that you get asked or bullied with, but are there any questions that you have the most fun answering about homeschooling? I think it's, it's the most fun answering people's questions about whether my kids have friends, because sometimes I just want to have fun with the answer, you know, and so sometimes a, a slightly sarcastic or funny reply when people, you know, ask, do your children have friends? And I just want to be like, no, we don't believe in friends or, <laughs> <laughs> or most of the questions we get revolve more around the number of children that we have. And I definitely have fun with those questions. Like what? Oh, when people ask if they're all yours, you know, are all these kids yours? And I just look around and count and be like, I'm pretty sure they are. <laughs> this, one, this one might be the neighbors. I don't know. Um, or yeah. Or people asking why we have so many kids. That's a, that's a fun one too. Yeah. Haven't you ever heard of birth control? And I'm just like birth control. You can control it. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I think that a lot of times people honestly don't stop and think before they ask questions. And one example that comes to my mind is not about homeschooling, but it's about barefoot running. Um, because, you know, I, I run barefoot a lot. And yeah. one of the common questions is, what about when it's really hot? And I have started answering, well, most people do go, don't go outside and run when it's really hot. It's not fun. Yeah. yeah. And they're like, oh, good point. And it's like, it's, it doesn't even matter that question that they thought was like the clincher. A couple of weeks ago, we were at a birthday party and I met some relatives of one of our neighbors. And one woman said to me, oh, you're the family that homeschools. And I said, yes, that's us. And she said, um, that must be really hard. Do you hate it? And that is the first time I think in the decade and a half or more that we've been homeschooling that anyone has asked me if I hate it. Wow. And she was serious. She was looking at me waiting for my response. And I said, no, we enjoy it. I enjoy it. This is our lifestyle that we do on purpose. Obviously, if I could just put them in public school anytime I wanted, but I never want to. So I'm here voluntarily, willingly, enthusiastically. Right. <laughs> I just thought that was strange. I've never had anyone ask me if I hate it before. Mm -hmm. um, I would think that it would be obvious that I love it because I keep doing it, <laughs> but maybe not. Maybe they think I'm under some kind of obligation or something. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not that different from people who view children just as a burden overall, something to get away from as much as possible. Yes. They're like, oh, I love my children, but I couldn't spend time with them. Yeah. Sometimes people will say, you must be very patient. And I think I don't consider myself more patient than anyone else. Um, but if I am, patience is something that must be developed, right? right. It's not right. something you're born with. Right. Um, so if I am patient, it's only because I've learned to be. And it based seems on like, your priorities. Yes. And because it was necessary. Uh huh. Um, but I would see it as just an excuse, I would be embarrassed if, if it were the opposite. If I was on the other side saying to someone, I'm not patient enough to do that. I would be embarrassed. <laughs> I wouldn't want to admit that to anyone. Right. Or I, right. Or if my relationship with my children was so terrible that I couldn't wait to be apart from them all day, I would be embarrassed to say that to someone. Yeah. It's sad. So I'm frequently surprised when other people are so forthcoming. <laughs> right about what they think are their inadequacies or their their weak point yeah the um the concept of oh you must be so patient it reminds me of the the idea of poverty versus wealth and people don't stop to think that poverty is the initial um situation of everyone and that wealth is built and acquired and developed through people's efforts yeah um and so it's it's the same with, with character things, anything that we build on, that we grow. Yes. We were talking recently because one of my brothers and his wife just had their first child. And we were talking about the idea of being ready to be a parent. Uh-huh. And I am of the opinion that you are never ready until you do it. Right. It's something that having the baby makes you ready. 
and I think it's a lot the same with with homeschooling. If you wait until you're patient enough, educated enough, have enough money, enough, right? Right. Any anything that may never come, and you kind of just you jump in both feet and do it, and you find yourself becoming more patient, becoming more able, becoming more experienced. Experienced, yeah, and finding ways creative ways to make things work you just if you wait until the stars align it might never happen yeah Uh, similarly you've used the comparison to marriage also um, after a certain age you choose to be married and you choose to do the things to make the marriage work right you've never heard anybody say I'm gonna wait until I'm a good wife to get married. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Just doesn't happen. Right. And I can't the same with, with homeschooling, you know, there's not any point where you should be saying to yourself, I'll wait until I'm a patient teacher who knows everything. (laughs) And we know for a fact that that will never happen because there's all these things constantly changing and nobody knows everything. Nobody knows everything. That's true. But also, you know, if you go ahead and just take the plunge and start homeschooling, you will find yourself becoming more patient. And like I said before, more able to do it. That just comes with the experience. Mm-hmm. So was there any other area of discussion that, that you would like to venture out into here? Any other um, ideas that come to your mind when discussing homeschooling? Yeah, I wanted to talk about regulation. Sure. States regulating homeschooling. um, And there's this idea that homeschool, homeschool families require oversight, accountability, and the state needs to make sure the children are being taught. And now that I live in a state where there are stricter laws, and Tennessee isn't even really that strict compared to some states that are the worst. New York State's laws are burdensome to the extreme. That's where my mom um, homeschooled us. And the amount of paperwork she was required to fill out and testing was mandatory, you know, the standardized testing every year. And now that I've had even just a small taste of it, I've even more, I'm even more fervently opposed to it than I was before. I do think that interferes with the natural rhythm and dynamic of homeschooling. But I keep seeing people promote that even more now in August of 2020, as people are doing virtual learning because of the pandemic, COVID-19. There's a lot of people with their kids at home who are, you know, doing school online and thinking to themselves, oh, you know, maybe we should just homeschool, which I'm really glad a lot of parents are considering it. But now we're seeing an increase in people saying, well, if there's going to be this many more homeschoolers, we need stricter oversight or, you know, more regulations. Just this week, the governor of Tennessee proposed the idea of wellness check about having agents of the state come to your home once a month, every home, whether you're a homeschooler or your kids are in private school or public school or, or anything, every child under the age of 18, um, they want someone to come to your home and, and talk to them and check on them. And see That's horrifying. 
isn't it? I think it's terrible. And the only thing more horrifying than that idea is the percentage of people who think it's a good idea. Yeah. I don't think it's the majority of people, but it's enough people to be alarming to Mm me. Um, And I know that, that you understand my perspective there, but the idea that we can have one size fits all checklists that we're going to make every family or or child adhere to. um, I do think that squelches what homeschooling should be and, and could be. Homeschooling styles are as varied as parenting styles. And, you know, every family is different, has their own dynamic. And I see any kind of intervention by the state as an impediment right to that i'm just i'm always floored by these people that think they should be able to make decisions for all the other families yeah whether it be people in obvious governmental offices um who just say oh well we've thought about this and this is what we think you should do and we're going to make laws and we're going to watch you or whether it be a larger percentage of the population who says we would like everyone to do things this way because we've decided it's best it's just the arrogance of that those same people would be very upset if i demanded the power to make all the choices for their lives right you know if they wanted to force me to do things a certain way well what if i want to force them to do things my way right they they wouldn't be happy about that So you would think naturally they would understand why I'm not happy about them wanting to force me to do things I don't believe in. Um, When we lived in Idaho, we did the standardized testing voluntarily. It wasn't mandatory. Um, But I learned pretty quickly that I had some children who were naturally good test takers. (laughs) Yep. And I had others who were equally as bright and knowledgeable, their siblings, Mm -hmm. who were not good test takers, you know, who would get frustrated and just, just blank out and not, not even finish filling in the little bubbles. And I knew that they knew the material well enough, they should be doing fine, but they were so stressed out about it. So I think that I learned that not, that I would not make all of my children have to do that anymore because, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Well, that's all right. I'll just add while you're thinking um, the idea that this certain testing modality, the way that that testing is done, tests everything, can test everything, is ridiculous. It it tests test-taking skills first and foremost, as you have mentioned. But the thing that I did with testing, at least part of it, is very similar to what you were talking about earlier with talking to your kids about, well, this is a state concern and I don't really have a choice. But with testing, I said, you will be taking tests in your life. So this is learning to take a test. Yeah. I had similar discussions with my kids and I also told them um, that my expectations were not Oh, that they have to get every question correct. You know, I mm-hmm. wanted to go into it knowing that we expect them to get to not know some of the material on the test, and, and that's okay. And I probably will have my younger children 
be tested at least once or twice so they're familiar with the test taking process right i have zero faith in the results or that it's telling me really anything useful other than how well they can fill in a bubble or understand convoluted instructions <laughs> absolutely um, but there's so many things that are so much more important than what's on those tests. I mean, how would you, for instance, taking your one son, how would you test in that situation whether or not someone can build a 3D printer? How would you test if they can handle a budget to run a business? You can't test those things that way. Right. Or how would you test their people skills? Or, right. Or how patient they are or how punctual they are or how reliable they are or how kind they are. Or how funny they are. Mm -hmm. I enjoy a good sense of humor. And my kids and I joke around a lot and have a lot of fun. And that's more important to me even than them being able to diagram a sentence. Because I think a sense of humor goes a, a long way in life toward making the unbearable things bearable. Right. And just making things enjoyable. It's not all business around here. Or, or hard work. We have a lot of fun too, but you can't measure that on a test. Right. Well, is there anything else you would like to add? I think I've said everything I wanted to say. I love homeschooling my kids and I, I love the dynamic and I love the lifestyle. And I see this as the way things should be. I know right. that's a that's a controversial opinion and that's not <laughs> That's not something I say often, um, but I tend to, to look around at what my kids and I are doing and what we have throughout the day or on weekends when, when my husband's not working and we're doing things together and going places. I, um, I look at what we have and how they're learning, and I think this is how it's supposed to be. Uh-huh. Well, that's beautiful. Yep. And, and why is it not okay to say that about your family situation. Again, if we go back to the marriage situation, if um, if we're having good communication and we're enjoying our marriage, but somebody else isn't because they're making decisions where they're um, not together, they're maybe not even living in the same state, and they're always working different jobs, are we not allowed to say about our marriage, this is what marriage should be? Right it's so often presumed that the parent-child relationship will be full of tension and conflict. People presume the same about marriage. Yes. But it does not have to be that way. It, I would say most of the time shouldn't be that way. So in my experience, it isn't that way. Well, the closer you live with anyone, you're going to rub and you're going to expose the things that I would say need to be exposed for the relationship to grow and mature in healthy ways. But that doesn't mean that somehow the relationship is bad or wrong. It means this is what has to be done. And then you get through that and it's better than it could have been without being together. Right. Well, thank you so much for talking with me. Well, the audio of Rachel saying goodbye wasn't usable, so I will say goodbye for both of us. I hope you found this interview useful, and if you have any other questions that come up based on listening to it, please let us know. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Make sure you have signed up for the Dangerously Helpful Homeschool Dispatch. When you do, you will receive my best 25 homeschool tips.
Now go out there and have fun creating a fantastic homeschooling experience for you and your children. 